More than the clothes we wear, style is about the way we move through the world. On this episode of Beyond Style Matters, I talk with one of fashion's original influencers, celebrity stylist Philip Block. Once upon a time, before the fashion world was saturated with eager influencers and wannabe stylists, a groovy young guy from Long Island named Philip Block used his good looks, innate charm, unbridled passion, and creative vision to dream up a very special platform for himself. After paying his dues as a model on top designer runways in the 80s, Philip started dressing celebrities and styling shoots. And by the mid-90s, he was the go-to guy for designers wanting to get their clothes on the right backs and stars looking for image guidance and wardrobes that would get tongues wagging. From Halle Berry, Selma Hayek, Jada Pinkett and Will Smith, to John Travolta, Nicole Kidman, Sandra Bullock and Jennifer Lopez, Philip was Hollywood's top stylist and even collaborated with Michael Jackson on his final two cover shoots and styled River Phoenix for his last photo shoot. I've been lucky enough to call Philip Block a dear friend since we first met in the mid-90s and have always been inspired by his ingenuity his honesty, and his great big heart. Philip Block, welcome to this episode of Beyond Style Matters. And I'm an emotional wreck already. I mean, just seeing your face on my screen, knowing that uh, you are there physically, you're always there spiritually. It's just mind-blowing to me because you have been such a mainstay uh, in my life, even though, you know, we've lost touch over the years, but, but you were the one that really made me believe in the magic of this business in such a big, big way. Yeah. Thank you. Me, me too. You, you, do you remember how we met? December of 1995 at uh, the first VH1 Fashion Awards. <laughs> Philip was my stylist. I'd been uh, doing fashion television for 10 years by that point, but I'd never had a real stylist <laughs> dress me before. I mean, that, that was kind of a new thing then. Yeah, nobody had really had a real stylist dress them before. <laughs> Not many people. To give people a, a bit of a frame of reference for those that were living under the rocks or not born in the 90s. <laughs> you know, you uh, came on the scene in such a big, bold and beautiful way. And people, uh, as we said, were not being dressed by stylists. Stylist was like, what's a stylist? I mean, <laughs> we didn't even know what that was. But you had quite a, a wonderful career in the fashion world. You were a top model walking for all the major European designers. And uh, just tell me, first of all, how you first got into the fashion world and what about the fashion world attracted you? I grew up in Long Island. I was a kid in Long Island. I was really troubled in school and I was definitely bad, <laughs> bad to the bone. I was a rule breaker, you know, in the time where there were a lot of rules to break, you know, I mean, if we think about it, this was like back pre-Madonna, this was like Madonna was just coming out when I started modeling. And then when I was a teenager, she wasn't even out. So I, I went to see the movie Mahogany when I was in school and I was failing school and I didn't know what to do. And I left the theater and I said, this is my life. I've been looking for these people my whole life. I've been stuck with these people in Long Island and there's a whole world, there's Europe out there. 
And um, I started drawing that night and I was doing so bad in school. My parents were just excited to see that I had something that, that turned me on and that, that got me excited besides hanging out. One day, my parents got called into school, which not one day, but many days they got called into school. And, and the teacher saw my parent, my art teacher saw my parents walking in the hall. And she said, are you Philip Locke's parents? And my father said, why? What did he do? <laughs> which was the usual response and they said oh he's so talented and he's so sweet and he's so lovely and he's so quiet and he said and my father said Philip Locke my son <laughs> and she said yes and he said well we're called into the principal's office because he this that and the other thing he said let me come with you long story short they created a special program for me in school and I tell this story because it's so important about teachers I would the school system's now they're really bad, but they were bad then. And, and there was nothing for kids that were different, that, that, that didn't understand math or science. There was nothing for those of us that were tactile and had another life out there waiting for us, a past life we had to get back to. She really set up a program for me and I passed high school by the skin of my teeth because of that teacher. And just uh, four years ago, I went to her funeral. Oh. It was so interesting that I got to go to her funeral and there was myself and one other student at her funeral. And I walked up to her kids thinking they knew all about me, you know, her big successful student who she changed his life and they had no idea who I was. <laughs> but they were very grateful that I was there and, and that, that, that I told them the stories about their mother and how she changed my life. In terms of getting into the fashion world uh. at that time as a model when there wasn't that you know this was just when the supermodel thing was bubbling up <laughs> you know this was even pre-supermodel yeah. when you were doing it tell me how that happened how did you walk the runway for Jean-Paul Gaultier wow um I went into the city after high school I went to the city to FIT I started going to Studio 54 in Xenon I ended up getting a job at Studio 54 as a busboy with David LaChapelle David LaChapelle and I were busboys with together and Steve wow. Rebell used to just look at the two of us and shake his head because we were so downtown, you know, in the days when things were downtown or uptown, yeah. we were downtown. And Steve Rebell would just sometimes look at us and go, oh. Anyway, long story short, I, I left studio. I saved up some money and I went to London. I slept under a dining room table. This was 19. It was the time of Princess Diana being engaged to Prince Charles. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I went to London and I started working right away. I ended up doing, oh my gosh, I ended up doing all these teen magazines on the covers and stuff. So it was so fun, like as a kid, to be on the covers of the magazines at the same time as Princess Diana. And to this day, I, I flatter myself. I was um, ethnic and I was um, very exotic. Remember those words in the 80s? You use exotic when somebody wasn't blonde and white. Yeah, yeah. And you were ethnic was was sometimes used, but exotic was the word. I mean, was it a dangerous kind of world? Did it feel like a dangerous kind of world for, for a young, kind of naive kid from the States to be, you know, living this fabulous, glamorous life in uh, the City of Light? Um, now we know about Me Too and Predators. You know, I, I had been raped early on. I didn't realize I had been raped. You probably don't even know this story. But it's Daily Mail did a big thing on about three, four years ago when all the girls were coming out from mm -hmm. Me Too. A lot of my actress friends, um, Ava LaRue and Selma Hayek kind of talked to me and Annabella Shiora talked to me about coming out and telling my story. And yeah. As far as modeling in Europe, I didn't have as much problem with that. That was more a New York problem for me. In the modeling industry, I had it along the way a little bit. You know, there was a guy at Saint Laurent 
that used to have all the models come in at lunchtime and wear underwear and he would fiddle with you. And I would go back to the agency and go, they, I walked into the agency after my first job at Saint Laurent and the agency says, so how did you go today at Saint Laurent? Did you, were you good? Did you behave? And I said, cause I was a little troublesome in those times. And she said, so did you behave at Saint Laurent? I said, yeah, I was really good. I said, but you know, he's a little touchy feely, you know, he was up to something. And she says, did he like you? Was he nice? And I said, yeah, he was a little touchy feely. He was too nice. And she said, well, Saint Laurent is very important. If they call back, you you go and behave yourself. And sure enough, we called right then. And they talked a little in French. And I was like, hmm, what are they saying? And she said, well, you must have done something right. You're booked again mm. for tomorrow for Saint Laurent. I said, well, you know, he's a little touchy feely. <laughs> and she says, Saint Laurent is very important. Be there on time. Yeah. And no, that's how I, it went. That's how it Well, listen, and I could write yet another book about uh, my yeah. adventures in that scene and how you, uh, you just, it was do or die. I mean, you just had to put up with a lot of bullshit <laughs> and but it, it was horrible. But it seems so bad then. It seemed like. <laughs> well, it seemed like everyone was putting up with it and it was just part yeah. of the, part of the thing. I mean, it was, it's outrageous to think that we accepted that, but. Well, they yeah. were rich and yeah. famous and they were European, so they must be right. I know. And here, well, listen, we survive. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? We survive. There you go. Despite. There you go. And okay. you know, it makes you a better person. And, and you try, you learn from all those things. Mm -hmm. You know, you try to be a better boss than that. You try to make sure there's none of that in your workplace. And mm -hmm. I think these times, it's been so extraordinary over the last few years to, you know, the most important thing I say about fashion is the people you meet along the way. When people always say, oh, what are you excited about this fashion week? And someone would say, hems and pleats and orange or whatever. And I would always say the people. Yeah. I would love when you would come to town. I have so many extraordinary memories of you and I backstage. Like I don't even remember us in front of stage. I just remember it's like sneaking through backways and mobs of people with paparazzi and people taking pictures and we'd be whisked to here and we'd whisk over to there and we'd be in the middle of commotion. Yeah. You then made a transition from modeling and you were a very talented, <laughs> incredibly cute model to Thanks. styling when that was not a thing. So what made you realize, first of all, that you had the taste level <laughs> to tell these, you know, big megastars what to wear and that you had uh, what it took to really be a great stylist? Well, um, I don't know if you remember Sasha Gambaccini. She was an editor at Italian Vogue with Franca Sozzani, the, the incredible Franca Sozzani. I feel very honored again to have been one of Franca's boys. I was in Italian Vogue and I feel... Franca was my editor that found me, but it was really Shasha Gambaccini who later married Fabian Barron, who ran Harper's Bazaar when they when Liz Tilberis came in and they took over. So Sasha was my editor at Italian Vogue and Pear Louis and Loma Vogue when I was a kid with Franca. Franca was her boss. And then um, they basically, after during the modeling, whenever I would come in, they'd be like, they loved my jeans or they loved my boots. And I could walk in and I would literally say, oh, well, can I wear that jacket? Can I put that shirt on with it? And they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, do that, do that. And I'd always have a leather jacket in those days, uh, you know, the motorcycle jacket. And they'd say, oh, just leave your jacket on. And I smoked a lot. And in those days, you could smoke in pictures. And they'd always say, oh, light up a cigarette, light up a cigarette. <laughs> they just loved the style. And it was really just being a, a magazine editor, but freelance mm. was really what a stylist yeah. was. I, I left Europe after at a certain point. And I came back to New York. I worked a little bit and I was the uh, fashion editor for the first issue of Vibe magazine, which is very interesting story. Again, talking about exotic and racist and fashion. Um, that was the 1992. It was a year before they signed Tyson Beckford. And um, I was the first fashion editor there. And, and I 
called um, Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger, and Ralph Lauren to get clothes for Vibe magazine, which was for hip hop artists and black artists. And each one of them, those three brands, ironically, said black artists aren't our thing. Rap music isn't our thing. That black people don't buy clothes. Uh, black people don't buy fashion. I mean, those are quotes. And then I called Mark Jacobs, who I had known since we were 17 because my mom had a shop on Columbus Avenue in New York for dog grooming. She was the dog groomer to the stars. And Mark lived down the street with his grandmother and he was selling sweaters at Charavari. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> and, when I met him, yeah. Exactly. And then, so I called Mark when he was at, at Carrie Ellison. I said, hey, I'm at Vibe Magazine with Quincy Jones and Jonathan Van Meter from Vogue is our editor-in-chief here. And I'm shooting black people and I can't get clothes. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, yeah, they won't get to He's like, come take whatever you want. And that was grunge. So I could take whatever I wanted from grunge at Mark yeah. Jacobs. Wow. Life was sweet. You know, and again, we didn't realize, you, you, you didn't see it as racism. You saw it as something just pretentious and stupid. You didn't realize the depth yeah. of it. The 80s, it was as a model seeing that. Then in the 90s, I was an editor and I saw it in a different way. So mm -hmm. it was very funny to <clears throat> now get to, then get to Hollywood as a stylist and be dressing you know, black celebrities like Jada Pinkett Smith and and and, and Latinas like J Lo and Selma for their first times at the Oscars, and again to re to to incur racism. But again, it wasn't like it was now where we know what it is. It was this thing that was ambiguous. So very, very interesting that that period to transition as a stylist. And so I was doing that first issue of Vibe, and um, Naomi Campbell. I think you've heard of her. She's a model. <laughs> She had about three fights with three people in three days, canceled her shoot three times, no phone throwing, thank God. And she's always great to me. I love her. Yeah, but, I love her know, too. Like that, you know, some lover, some hater, and everybody's got a story. And after that, I said, you know, F this shit. I'm not going to sit and waste all my time pulling these shoots together for spoiled models that are canceling jobs. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it for Whitney Houston and Oprah and Vanessa Williams. You know, I loved R&B music in the 90s. There's still nothing better. And I was like, I'm going to go to Hollywood and work with actresses. At least if I'm going to be stressed, I'm going to be do it for people that inspire me and that mm -hmm. I think change mm -hmm. the world. Yeah. And that was really how I got to Hollywood. And I didn't work for a year. I got to Hollywood and I did not work for a year before I actually got a job. And my first job there was with River Phoenix for his last <sighs> cover shoot for Detour Magazine. I am the Forrest Gump of fashion. I think you and I are both the Forrest Gumps of fashion. <laughs> yeah, you've seen it all, right? <laughs> it's, it's all so like Zelig or something. Yeah. That your life is history is so yeah. fascinating and all the components to your life are our history is just one of the most incredible gifts and, and amazing things in my whole life. And you were just living every day. Yeah, no, I know. And the iconic people that you got to get up close and personal with and- Oh my you know, God, Truman Capote and Andy Warhol. I used to well, I mean, Even Michael Jackson, didn't you oh, my style God. him at one point? Boy. Hmm, hey, you know. a lot of people wouldn't loan me clothes for Michael Jackson. And that was in what, uh, 2000, oh gosh, I'm maybe nine, 10, I don't remember the exact year, but right before it was like the year before he died and people wouldn't loan me clothes for Michael Jackson. He's, he's not our market. We don't work with a lot of black celebrities and they would still say it. And then even up to 2016, I dressed Mary J. Blige for the American Music Awards 
just did I drop something? A few names. <laughs> <laughs> and and I couldn't get I had a hard time getting close with Mary Jane. Oh, she's very hip hop. She's not our client. No, but it's incredible that you had such a history of, of dressing these brilliant black artists. Um, you know, and, and here you were this like what Jewish kid from Long Island or something <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, how does yeah, that yeah. happen? You know, it uh, wasn't like these were your peeps, but I mean, on some levels, I guess they were on a soul level, you related yeah. to these people for sure. I grew up in the street, you know, I was a hanger outer. I was, you know, a street kid mm. pretty much. I, I was out hanging out and, and I, you know, I have a Latin background, a Jewish Latin background. And I think you just always felt a little different. You're always different. And again, it's that weird, undefinable thing that I think in the 80s and 90s happened where you crossed over, Mm -hmm. whether it was Will Smith being not too black or Susan and I being not too white. And if you remember in the beginning of my career as a stylist and then the TV thing that sort of took off, I was on BET, CNN, VH1, E, all at the same time. Every great conversation needs a pause, so this is a perfect time to talk to you about our sponsor, TSC, who, without their support, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Now, as you might know, I've covered the catwalks of Paris, Milan, New York, and London. And so why have I partnered with a retailer like TSC, today's shopping choice? Well, I believe that great fashion should be accessible to everyone, and tsc.ca is home to some wonderful Canadian brands and designers like Kim Newport Mimran, Brian Bailey, Kayla Kay, Ron White, and Hilary McMillan. And of course, TSE offers so much more than mere fashion. Discover quality Canadian jewellery and accessories from Pico, Brass and Unity, and I. You can find more Canadian designers and brands in the CAFA store at tse.ca slash CAFA. And let's all shop better together. Okay, so let's let's go back to the very beginning, the first, the night I met, the day I met you. Oh wow! I mean, my life is so flashing before me when I think back to that because it was a very special time. Um, it was a very special night. Uh, VH1, which was you know the sort of the grown up version of MTV, yes. had been running our show, Fashion Television, for a couple of years since 1993, and the show had become a very hot commodity. All of a sudden, yeah. the idea, the notion of fashion as entertainment on television uh, was a, a big, you know, big thing and, and very, um, very, very successful. So they decided to stage a big awards show at the Lexington Street Armory. And serendipitously, uh, it was the night before the big ball at the Met. So all these great fashion people were in town, thanks to Anna Wintour. Everyone, like, I mean, it was incredible. These were Terry Mugler, Carl Lagerfeld, Johnny Versace, Jean-Paul Gauthier, Valentino, Tommy Hilfiger, Isaac Mizrahi, Richard Tyler, Calvin Klein. Oh, Calvin was too cool to attend the event, but... And also Ralph Lauren, because we wouldn't yeah. give Ralph Lauren an award. He didn't show up. But all those <laughs> other designers that I mentioned were there. It was incredible. All the big models were there, all the, the big yeah. supermodels, even the male supermodels, like uh, Marcus Schenkenberg and Mark and Alec Lundqvist, Tyson Beckford, as you mentioned, Michael Bergen. Incredible. And, you know, Claudia Schiffer was there. Calvin. And then we had the performers, the people that came to perform at that show were... Uh. Everyone from Prince, yeah. Katie Lang, 
and Madonna was there to pick up an award as well. Um, <laughs> Tina Turner, Elton John. I mean, it's fantasy time, okay? Like, yeah. God forbid a bomb would have dropped on that building. <laughs> like, the whole pop culture would have been wiped out um, from the 90s. I mean, it was incredible. So there I, because I was hosting fashion television, was asked to do the backstage color commentary because I yeah. had a great relationship with a lot of these designers, which I cultivated yeah. over the past 10 years. So what to wear... And this is, I'm reading now for my first book, Genie Unbottled, because I, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you ever read this bit, uh, Philip, but for the edification of all those out there that want to know a bit of the backstory, what to wear to such an image-driven event was a crucial consideration. So the producers hired a hotshot Hollywood stylist to dress me. I'd been in my hotel room less than 15 minutes when Philip Block and his two assistants arrived, towing a rack laden with designer duds. Oh, honey, is this work or what? Block was happily <laughs> chattering away, telling me about all the running around he'd been doing, borrowing top label designers for the program's presenters who ran the gamut from Mariel Hemingway to China Phillips uh, to RuPaul. Even Ru Yes, there, yes. Right? Mariel wants to wear Calvin, but she's not a sample size, so it's not easy, he gushed in his Long Island <laughs> accent. And I was dying to put RuPaul in Valentino, but no, she insists on wearing something Bob Mackie made. Who knows what Madonna's going to do? She's got Dolce & Gabbana's entire collection over at her house, along with everything from Gucci and Prada. It's totally insane, but don't you just love it? <laughs> this is you talking. Oh, my God. Yes, I did. I'd been working in television for 16 years at that point, wow. having done fashion television for 10. Uh, and I had never had this particular kind of service. This is something I could get used to very, very quickly, I thought, as I shuffled through the hangers dripping with Ralph Lauren, Valentino, Giorgio Armani and Richard Tyler in my size. <laughs> Block initially pushed me for the Valentinos. I was slated to do an interview with the Rome-based designer backstage and Block told me how happy it would make Valentino to see me in one of his creations. But the Valentino offerings, as gorgeous as they were, didn't feel funky enough for me. My new best friend slash stylist soon saw it my way and turned to the Richard Tylers. He gave his approval the moment the Richard Tyler tuxedo jacket slipped over the lavender silk satin Tyler shirt. It's understated, but very, very chic and rock and roll, he observed. Now try on the pants. But the pants were too voluminous. Lose the pants, he said. You've got great <laughs> legs. Show them off. The jacket's long enough. It'll make a gutsy statement. I'll run around tomorrow and find some sexy shoes. It'll be perfect. It's funny how one can bond so quickly with a hip stranger who comes into your room with tons of designer clothes. <laughs> Within minutes of meeting Block, I was running around in my brawn panties, lamenting <laughs> the fact that I hadn't had time to wax my nakedly exposed legs. But according to Block, even the biggest stars get insecure. And then here, Philip, a picture of us, a Philip Block wearing that little Kangol hat. And there I am, like I have the nerve to wear. A, a tuxedo jacket with nothing underneath. But I got to tell you, I still have that jacket in my wardrobe and I should resurrect it, damn it. Now that many- Oh yeah, you back. could still wear it. You could still yeah. wear it. And I still have that lavender satin shirt. It was an incredible time, um, an incredible time in fashion. Not that it's not a wonderful time in fashion now. And I, I hate to be one of those that just keeps looking back um, a lot, but you can't help it when you have gone through such a golden age um, yeah. it, because it, it truly was. And the adventures that you and 
I had after um, that because we became fast friends where, do you remember one night running around with the Selma Hayek who you were besties yeah. with who knew nothing about fashion at the time and now yeah. look who and she's, married, she's to. married to who? <laughs> yeah exactly the guy that you know runs half the world of fashion exactly uh, unbelievable people trusted you in terms of, of responsibility and that stuff that never really seemed to figure much in the world of fashion I mean now people happily do feel more accountable or they should be more accountable or we got to start thinking about all the stuff out there and why do we need all these clothes and what are they doing to the planet and how are we going to get into some kind of system of, of circular fashion that's going to make sense and 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 save the planet perhaps what are your thoughts on that like how do we function as great fashion lovers in a world where you know we we have to start being smart and responsible I think that's really interesting. And, and I've, I've been working on that myself. I just started a, a small collection. I'm doing a couture. You don't even know. Nobody knows this. The, this is a scoop. I'm working on a cashmere collection, a couture cashmere collection for Bergdorf's, hopefully. And this is one of my, my girls right here. And a lot of what I'm doing, interesting you should mention, is I'm, I'm recycling some old fabrics and from old gowns and I'm taking old gowns apart and, and I found a place with some vintage fabrics that just, you know, are in rolls that hadn't been used over the hundreds of years or whatever, 50 years. And so, you know, there's a lot of, you know, upcycling, recycling, reinventing. And that's things I've always talked about. You know, I've done two books in my, my day as well. And the last one, The Shopping Diet was really about that, like how to uh, emotion, um, economical and emotional solutions to spending less and getting more. And it was all about how to take pieces in your wardrobe and revamp them and reuse them. And now I'm just basically doing a collection based on that and expensive. That was the interesting thing, you know, in times like this, do you create something for the masses or do you create something exotic and special and luxurious? And I was leaning towards the t-shirts the and the hoodies. And I had a whole creation that I'm working on called God stuff. And, um, it's little praying hands and a little crown and little angel wings and their t-shirts and hoodies and they're gold embroidered. And those are coming in the next few months. I'm very spiritual and religious and I, and I feel like God tells me what to do. I, I can't, or the universe, whatever you want to call it, tells me what to do. I'm really one of those, like I'm a little bag in the wind, you know, a feather in the wind. I go where the direction takes. And I realized I was going to do this, reinvent these cashmere sweaters, taking mm -hmm. different cashmere sweaters. The cashmere sweaters are not um, old, they're new. But it's taking a lot of old fabrics and working with them and re, re, redoing them. There's lots of ways. Sometimes it's using fabrics that have already been recycled. There's so many ways now. How do you think our personal attitudes, though, towards fashion and dressing up and the importance of it in our lives has changed? Or, or maybe it hasn't. Well, now we use clothes to, one thing is we use clothes to say how we feel. You know, I think we've seen a lot of that over the last few years. And um, I think that we still use clothes to feel good. It, it, you know, your outfit is your GPS of your mood and where you're going and what we're doing. It's obviously been casualized and democratized. You know, I think for the last few years, there was a, a big movement in fashion that I was, we were calling the democratization of fashion, mm -hmm. where fashion became much more for the people. Yep. You know, if you think back in the day, couture and the, the big houses, those were for Christina Onassis and Princess Caroline. Like people weren't buying Dior. You didn't own Dior unless you were 
very, very, very rich. And truly now everybody's got Dior sunglasses and Dior sneakers and a Dior purse. So in some ways we become more casual, but in some ways everybody's wearing designer. You're casual in your $900 Dior sneakers. Philip, you though, you know, we're always uh, multi-talented, um, really in, in so many different ways, you know, as a performer, as well as someone who just knew fashion as an editor, as a, a spokesperson for, for the scene. I mean, there were so many different things you did and you did some wonderful acting, um, very memorable performances. Uh, you. You know, I remember the, the Unseen, that was probably about ah. 2005. We played a blind man. I mean, it was mind blowing. I mean, and you know, you, your films were at festivals and so you had, you know, your, your fingers in those pies too. But, but at the end of the day, it is, seems to be the fashion world that has really kept you going and keeps keeps you dreaming and and aspiring what would you say your life in fashion thus far has given you wow you know i've lived the dream i really i really am one of those that lived the dream I, I, you know i believe in miracles i believe in i believe in dreams and miracles and i'm just that guy you know i sing all the time i sing corny songs and i think i think it's given me so many memories um I get very misty eyed like you do and sad sometimes when you think of the things that have inspired you and the people we've lost along the way. But I'm sad for the kids that they don't have the innocence that we had sort of and that everything is done for such a done for the shock value and done for the attention and done for the likes. And I think, oh, my gosh, when you see this stuff, you, you must understand when I look at the photo shoots and the stylists and everybody now showing everything as it's happening. And I think, Oh my God, I don't have any pictures of me and celebrities yeah, at photo shoots or anything. I would, I would never, ever, ever think of bringing a camera to a photo shoot and asking to take a picture with Nicole I Kidman, know. even though yeah. I love Nicole Kidman and we're friends. I would never say, Hey, Nicole, yeah, <laughs> let's yeah. do a selfie. I, I really feel like it has given me a whole world. I, I, I think, I found the common denominator of fashion and being able to dress the character. You know, I, I listened to Helen Mirren talk about being the queen when she played the queen um, in the movie, The Queen. And, and she talked about how she had to dress the character. And I was like, dress the character, huh? Oh, and so then when I started to act a little and got at first, I think I got asked to be in the eyes of Tammy Faye. And I did a few cameos and I was like, I get this. And then I dressed the character and suddenly, I was like Sammy and I was this character and I knew what he wore and he liked his soft t-shirts and he would wear things like this and it was just about being the character. So fashion kind of is in drag. Snoop, Snoop Dogg always said, you know, everybody's in drag. It just depends on what your drag is. And I realized mm -hmm. that was all, everybody was saying the same thing. Helen Mirren, Snoop Dogg. It's about the clothes, make the character, make the person give you the feeling. So I, I think fashion's given me all of that. Yeah. And friends, 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 friends for a lifetime. All right, yeah. darling, Philip Block, thank you so much for being on this episode of Beyond Style Matters. Love you to bits. Thank you, I love you. Give the girls my love too. Thanks for listening. New episodes of the podcast will be coming at you every other Monday. You can watch Style Matters Thursday on TSC or online at the tsc.ca website. Till next time, I'm Jeannie Becker.